I said, Mom, I want you to do something for me. And she said, what? I said, I want you to handcuff me to the bottom of my aunt and uncle's swimming pool. This is Spencer. I called him up in Brooklyn, and he recorded himself on his iPad. Okay, so yeah, we're rolling. When he was eight, he would watch these TV specials. You may remember these things. They were magic specials. And in the 90s, they seemed to be on a lot. Spencer thought they were awesome, specifically the escape tricks, the really elaborate ones. I'm going to perform this grand stunt, and I'd like to say goodbye to my family in case they never see me again. And then they would put them in a <laughs> canvas sack, and they'd, you know, they'd handcuff them, and they'd tie the sack shut, and then they'd put the sack in a coffin, and then they'd put the coffin underground, and then they'd bury them 20 feet deep, and they'd put a 1,000-pound metal sheet on top of the hole, and then they'd put an elephant on top of the sheet, just you know, like totally over the top. And then, you know, you know, yeah. you know, in hindsight that probably he was getting help from somewhere or another. But at the time, I thought it was real and I, I was amazed by it. So Spencer did what any young aspiring escape artist would do. I found this pair of handcuffs, probably at like a gift shop somewhere. They looked real, but they had a secret latch. If you could find it, you could get out. To me, they were real, though. You know, I would I sort of just pretended like it was a real thing. And I was like escaping from everything. He would ask his mom to handcuff him to chains, tie him up around the tree in the front of the house. While other kids were playing soccer, he was handcuffed to the bleachers. My mom was a very good sport about it, and, and, uh, but my stunts began to get a little bit out of hand, and I started to dream a little bit bigger. And, and I noticed that my aunt and uncle, they had a swimming pool we'd go to all the time, and at the bottom of the pool, there was the drain or the ventilation, whatever. Um, this, okay. this, this little grate at the very bottom of the pool, you know, 10 feet deep. And so I had this dream that the ultimate escape would be for me to handcuff myself to the bottom of my aunt and uncle's pool. And she said, no. And I said, why? Why not? Why won't you help me? And she said, because I don't want to be on the news. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you're listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today, we'll hear three stories, all about honoring someone's wish. We'll hear about a request someone made for what happens after they die. Another story about a wish to be left alone. But first, let's get back to Spencer and see about his wish to be a magician. Seriously, I think I basically just would bother her for, like, days straight and just be like, Mom, please, can you do this? Can you, like, tie me to this thing? Like, I think that's how it was. So from her perspective, maybe she just had no choice. So I, yeah, I, probably, I probably would have done the same thing, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, because I, I have a friend who has, like, a five- or six-year-old, and he's always wanting to do ridiculous things, but they're more like just publicly funny not like dangerous you know but he always wants to have like these themed parties and he wants to invite adults all the time <laughs> so like su- superhero party parties who do you want to come he's like i want jacob and Catherine. that's my wife and the other people <laughs> and so he's having like a a, a joker party because he really likes villains uh. and like have all these adults come and decorate a joker tie and you know do these funny things <laughs> But I just think it's so funny that, you know, his mom is really good at... She goes along with it. Even though these things... 
yeah, even though these things are ridiculous, it's like she finds the line where she can honor it. Um, and I just think, like, at, for a parent, and, like, you know, you have the story to think that your mom, at least a little bit, was like, yeah, uh, Spencer, like, I see that desire in you, and I want to, you know, make it happen for you, in, in a, at least in a safe way. And how, so how does that hit you? Uh, well, you know, no, I'm actually, I've never really thought of it that way, but it's very touching when you put it that way. So maybe I'll, maybe I will give my mother a call this afternoon and, and just say, Mom, thank you for helping me follow my dreams as a child, even though they were sometimes kind of strange. Special thanks to Spencer and his sister, Mary Helen Montgomery, who is a radio producer in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Maybe someday we can finally convince your mom to tell her side of the story. Okay, so the other day I was talking to one of my editors, Mac, and he got really excited to tell me a story about a guy named Phil. This is, the, this is what your whole theme is about. Honoring wishes? Yeah. It's the ultimate wish-honoring story. So to set this up, this guy, Phil Kaufman, lives in Nashville. But he goes by another name. The Road Mangler? <laughs> what? <laughs> the Road Mangler, as in a play on Road Manager. I reached out to Phil and we exchanged emails, but he didn't want to be interviewed. Not because he didn't want the story told, but because he's told it so freaking much. I mean, there was a movie made about it where Johnny Knoxville played Phil. But I think it's an important story because it really, really goes to the edges of what it means to honor somebody's wish. So here it goes. Phil Kaufman, a.k.a. The Road Mangler, managed a lot of legendary acts. He's been on the road with the Rolling Stones, Frank Zappa, Joe Cocker, but probably the most memorable was the rock country musician Graham Parsons. In my hour of darkness, in my time of need, in addition to working together, Phil and Graham were friends. Friends in that early 70s go and get high together in the desert sort of way. They had a real connection. And in July of 1973, one of their mutual friends died. A guy by the name of Clarence White. He played in the band The Birds. And at his funeral, Phil and Graham made a pact. Whoever died first, the other one would take their body to Joshua Tree National Park, a place they both loved. They would have a few drinks and burn the body. And you've seen the Road Mangler around town? Yeah, I've seen the Road Mangler. Um, like at, uh, you know, like I've seen him eating at a Mexican restaurant. So obviously no one has burned Phil's body, but the same can't be said for Graham Parsons. It was a cocktail of various drugs and alcohol that killed Graham in California. His body went to the Los Angeles International Airport. From there, it was supposed to be flown to Louisiana to be buried but Graham's body never even made it onto the plane. That's because of the road mangler. Phil Kaufman and a friend rolled into the airport in a borrowed hearse with no license plate and a bag full of Jack Daniels and beer. In jeans, boots, and a cowboy hat, Phil convinced an airport employee that Graham's family wanted the body chartered on a smaller plane. He signed some papers with a fake name and was given the casket.
When they pulled up to a formation known as Cap Rock in Joshua Tree, it was dark. They dragged the coffin out of the hearse. Phil opened the lid and poured gasoline all over the body. Graham and Phil both had a wish. A wish about friendship. A wish about a place that was special to them. A wish about the right to deal with death. Graham didn't want a mopey, long religious service. He wanted his spirit to rise to the desert stars. Phil lit a match and threw it in. What I think is really intense about the story is that, for one thing, Graham would never know the difference. If Phil had not honored his wish, he would never know. And Phil had to put himself at risk. I mean, obviously, things were probably different at airport security than they are now. But he still had to, like, steal this body. I would be terrified and creeped out. Something about the desert, though. I get that part. There's something about it. Yeah. It just makes sense to mention that Phil has a book where you can read all about his life on the road called Road Mangler Deluxe. All right, coming up after the break, a story about honoring distance. Okay, so this next story comes from America's Neighbors to the North. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, or CBC, launched an awesome new podcast. May I present to you an excerpt from the CBC's podcast, Love Me. My best friend is a woman I've never met. I mean, like, you have your high school best friend, you have your college best friend, I had a maid of honor at my wedding, but Kate is my functional best friend. She's the person I call when stuff goes wrong. She's the person I call if I need to vent or I need to cry or I just need somebody to listen to what's going on in my life. Four years ago, we met in an online writing group. We both hated all the same stuff. At first, we talked by private message and email, and then one night I needed feedback on a piece and she let me call her at one o'clock in the morning and read the story to her. And ever since, we've talked every day. Kate always picks up. She's always home. And this is because one of the first things she ever told me, she said she was circus freak fat. She's housebound. She lives in a house in Louisiana that she inherited from her parents. Both her parents were hoarders. So she lives surrounded by giant piles of stuff. And about six years ago, Two years before we met, her health deteriorated and it got hard to walk. So she left her job at the power company, cashed out her retirement, and basically went home to die. She couldn't even take out her own garbage. Like, every so often she would order pizza. She could only eat food that delivered. 
And when the pizza guy came, he would take her trash can to the curb. And then the next time she ordered something off Amazon, the UPS delivery guy would bring the garbage can back up from the curb. Kate doesn't get out much, but I get out a lot. And Kate and I have this thing where everywhere I go, I call her from someplace interesting and I turn in a circle and I tell her everything I see. So I go to Alaska, to South Africa, to Nepal, and I was at Manakamana, this uh, temple on a mountaintop in Nepal, and I call her up and turn a quarter turn, and I'm like, in front of me, there's, you know, all these offering tables covered with like red and gold fabric, and I turn a quarter turn, and there's this pen full of black goats, and I hold up the phone so she can hear the temple bells. She tells me... I'm her window on the world. As I'm learning what her daily life is like, you know, as I'm learning stuff like she really missed fruit because nobody delivers fruit, you know, it's the one thing Amazon doesn't sell, you know, as I'm learning that, you know, there's six buckets of fishing bobbles in the carport, but she can't throw them away because she remembers tying fishing bobbles with her dad when she was a little kid. I start thinking, well, maybe I can help with this, you know? I mean, I'm reasonably able-bodied, and I travel all over the world for my job, and I go through the American South a lot, and I say, I have a week between Florida and Tennessee. Could I come take out some boxes for you? And she says, you're funny. I call her from Edmonton. She spends, like, a week listening to me whine and then helps me break up. I call her from Michigan, and she helps me get divorced. I send her the manuscript of my novel, and she reads all of it three times, two and a half times more than my mom. One year in August, she said she was really hot. Her air conditioner had broken. And I said, I could come help with that. I probably wouldn't even have to come in the house. And she, you know, she really kind of lost it. She's like, stop pushing. It will end our friendship if you come. She was afraid that if I, if I saw her body, if I saw her house, if I saw her, that I wouldn't like her anymore, that I wouldn't be her friend anymore. And I think that as well as all the boxes, she just had this giant horde of shame. We would have these conversations where she would say something like, I think I'll go to the door today. And it, it took like an hour because she would have to, to crawl there. And after, you know, a, a few rounds of, of, I'd like to come and help you, you know, no, don't come, don't come. I finally was like, you know, I, I have to do this. I have to go and, and help my friend and I ended up in this little town in, in Arkansas that was less than an hour away from where Kate lived in Louisiana. And I thought, I am going to do this right. And, you know, she'd had some trouble with deliveries going to the back door because the back door was inaccessible. And she would, like, wait all day at the front door and then discover that they had left the delivery at the back door. And so I, like print out this handy little sign that says, take all deliveries to front. And I get my sign laminated and I buy some oranges and some apples and I buy bananas that are still green so that they will last. 
and I Google map her house and I pick up the phone to be like, you know, ready or not, here I come. She picks up, she always picks up, and she says, hey, is, is everything okay? And I realize in that moment that the price of having Kate on the other end of the line is letting her stay at the other end of the line. That as long as we never meet, she can be the person who helps me instead of a person who needs help. I put the fruit in the fridge, I put the sign in the garbage, and I say, no reason, just called to say hi. That was Allison Williams with a story that first appeared on CBC's Love Me. It was produced by Mira Burt-Wintonic and Crystal Duhame. For more stories like it, visit cbc.ca slash loveme or subscribe in iTunes. Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis, with production assistance from Bailey Robbins. This story was edited by Mac Linebaugh and Emily Siner. Some music in this episode is by Poddington Bear, and this song is by Dan Burns. Neighbors is a proud and founding member of The Herd. That's H-E-A-R-D. Visit theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. Neighbors.